Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studios here in Beijing. Today, it's me and David Moser hosting with Alt Kaiser, and we're going to be talking about kung fu and other Chinese martial arts. Joining us to discuss the history and current status of martial arts in China is Chengdu-based writer and filmmaker Sasha Matusak, whose interest in martial arts began with the traditional forms, but it, who is now completing a documentary film uh, on mixed martial arts or MMA in China, an extremely competitive commercial fight series where participants make use of a variety of different styles from different parts of the world to beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> um, I'd also at this point just like to thank Naomi Lee of uh, uh, Shaolin Wulun, uh, Wugulin dot uh, org. Um, who uh, helped with some of the, the research for this, this podcast. Sasha, um, welcome to Seneca. Thank you very much. It's and David, I should also let you say hello. Yes, hello. Ni hao. Um, <laughs> let's start by talking about the film you're working on, Sasha. What's it about? Uh, why did you start working on it? Uh, the film is called The New Masters, um, The New Masters Documentary. Uh, you can check it out on Kickstarter. Um, what, it's, uh, what it's about is um, the evolution of Chinese martial arts, and um, where it is today, what's, what's going on with Chinese martial arts today, what's going on with Kung Fu today, and um, its relationship with MMA and some of the modern global martial arts movements that are, that are happening right now. Okay, well, let's go back to uh, the mists of ancient history, and, and let's talk about the, mor the origins of Chinese martial arts. When did China start having a tradition of this type of fighting style that we think of as Chinese martial arts? Well, uh, that's a huge question. Um, I'm gonna. Uh, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna answer it as, as simply and as quickly as possible. Um, Chinese martial arts goes back to um, you know uh, probably way back into history when um, people were fighting hand to hand um, and you needed some sort of techniques to to fight each other. So in that in that sense, it probably goes back at least two three thousand years. Um, Kung fu as we know it today. Um, has its origins maybe about a hundred years ago. Um, a little bit, you know, it's, it's very complicated how it goes back because in each dynasty, in each period, be it peacetime or wartime, martial arts takes on a very different form. And um, I think it's easier to talk about what happened a hundred years ago up until now because that is what we, what we understand as Kung Fu. And so a hundred years ago during the Republican period in, in China, so that would be the nationalist uh, government in the 1920s, Kung Fu became very popular with nationalists and um, it became also something that um, nationalists believed would be a great tool to unite Chinese people, to, um, to bring Chinese people together and to kind of cultivate a martial spirit. And that's where we have these initial names like uh, Huo Yuanjia and, uh, and, and, um, and guys out of Hong Kong who were famous kung fu practitioners who fought british boxers um you know in the ring and fought japanese judo masters in the ring and that's where it first kind of uh became something that we know today the the, the nationalists even called it guo shu as right. the national arts the you know as being representing china and but even i took mean some, someone to the olympics uh in the 30s i think uh to at least showcase it to, to, to a demonstration is, sport. Yeah, right. yeah, but they, I mean, surely the history goes back a lot longer. I mean, if you read any website on Kung Fu, they, they talk about Indian monks coming to, yeah, to China, bringing that's fighting styles. I mean, the Shaolin Temple claims uh, a history dating back at least claims to the Tang the right dynasty. Verb. 
claims is the right verb. Um, a lot of that stuff is is um, because I've read a lot about it, and the more I learn about it from a- academics and from you know the actual facts, I want to stay away from the myth. A lot of the myths are that the origin is in the Shaolin Temple, and that um, a sh- you know an Indian monk sat and faced the wall, um, Bodhidharma, and created Zen Buddhism, and also created the um, the Shaolin Kung Fu style. A lot of that is myth, and um, and a lot of those myths have been perpetuated, especially in the last thir- three decades, by um, by a concerted government effort to rehabilitate kung fu. So a lot of these things, I kind of want to step away from. Those are well known. Um, what what we want to concentrate on with with our project is not just is is to kind of get away from the myths and show kung fu what it really is now, and what and and what those roots are, and where it might be in the future. Okay, so what is what is Chinese martial arts? What what is kung fu now? Um, kung fu now is um, is very interesting because it has um, split into its kind of component parts. So you have um, on one hand um, yangshen, so like a health um, centric kung fu um, that um, derives from qigong, so where you cultivate your qi, your inner energy, and so that's basically taiji. And so a good example of that would be Taiji Zen, which is what Jet Li and I believe Jack Ma, it's like a, it's a company. And what it is, it's like a spa. And it, and it caters to white-collar people, to the educated kind of cultured people, um, to uh, and, the rich. But, and that would loosely be the same type of thing you see old men in, exactly. practicing in parks or, or exactly. across China, yeah. primarily for health purposes. For health purposes, yeah. Exactly. Slow, there's not really any actual fighting. It's, yeah, I mean, uh, some people want to change that. The Chen style Taiji, which is one of the original styles of Taiji, believe that their style is a fighting style, and they've staged fights with Muay Thai fighters, and they're staging another one uh, later in September. So there are fighters in the Taiji uh, realm, but basically that's one kind of thread, is the health-centric, white-collar, I, I like to call it white-collar culture type of thread. There's another one, um, Wushu. Now, although Wushu means martial arts and should kind of encompass, it, uh, in, encompass everything, what it means today is the, um, the sport, which is um, performance wushu. That's where they, it's kind of like dance. And what they do is they take the kung fu forms and they perform them on a mat, something like gymnastics. And they've tried to come to make it an Olympic sport several times and, and failed. So that's, the, uh, that's one of the other major threads is, is performance wushu. This is what you would see if a tourist goes to the Laosha Tea House on a Wednesday night, and there's a big uh, ending, what they call a kung fu performance at the end. It's basically just what you described. It's uh, people, young men leaping around uh, theatrically, but not fighting, uh, and not even clear exactly how that would be constitute a fight. But Well, they, they mimic fighting forms that kung fu masters use to train, um, to practice techniques, but they've made it more of an acrobatic show. And in some cases, it's, it's amazing to watch. You know, it really is, especially when you have like two or three performers working in tandem. It's, it's, it's really amazing. But what it's done is um, it's, uh, it's kind of made, because it's one of the more visible parts of, of, of Chinese martial arts globally, it's made people believe that Kung Fu itself is nothing but dance and acrobatics and ineffective and so it's kind of backfired in a way um, in terms of like promoting Kung Fu abroad because people look at Wushu and be like, look, that's dance. 
Yeah. So, but what else is there? I mean, there, yeah. because the other, there, there, those the are two. Those are two. Wushu yeah. So we have then the health, the tai chi, kind yeah, of health, kind two. of yoga. Yeah. Then and we have uh, play then we acting. Have, then we have what's called sanda or sancho. What that means is free hand, and that comes from the the nationalist period and the republic period, the republican period. And what that was is what that is is a combat form. Um, it was used in the past to for schools that wanted to challenge each other in fights, um, instead of using all of their Kung Fu secret skills, they would use Sancho, which was a, a collection of kicks, punches, and throws. So it's a combat form, simplified Kung Fu, um, that has um, over time now grown into a sport like um, kickboxing that is very popular in China, very lucrative in China. Hundreds of thousands of RMB to champions, cars, houses, um, there's national games. There's and who organizes these competitions? The, um, the competitions are organized um, along many lines. There's a national competition that involves provincial teams, all of the sports universities, so Xi'an, So Beijing. it's an official sport. It's an official taken, sport yeah. in China for sure, and it's, uh, it's 500,000 people are involved in that sport. So it's big in China, and it's basically non-existent outside of China. And uh, so far... Um, you know, some people are uh, coming from abroad to study a little bit of Sanda uh, in order to f- compete in, in, for example, MMA promotions or in other fighting promotions. But Sanda has not yet caught on as, a, as an effective combat technique elsewhere uh, other than in China. But that's one of them. And then the fourth thread is the thread that kind of actually drew me into this whole topic in the beginning and which made... For me, um, the idea of a book or a documentary or a series of articles uh, important is the actual kung fu master. You know, the mythical guy we think of who who, who combines all of these elements, mm. who has qigong, who knows the wushu forms, who can defend himself and passes his lineage on and is actually a, a, a treasure of the nation. That particular person, because of the commercialization and the kind of specialization of Chinese martial arts over the past, especially over the past 30 years, um, that particular character in the martial arts scene, although revered, has no place. And that particular person is finding his marketability uh, to be very uh, low. And, um, And that, for me, was the initial push to get into this because it seemed uh, in the community itself <clears throat> the narrative that the kung fu master is disappearing is is um is a prominent one a lot of people are saying that and i myself noticed that a lot of the who i would consider you know the most amazing martial artists i've ever met anywhere um they were broke um doing whatever they could to to survive no disciples and um and bordering on depression because nobody wow. was really um was really paying attention to them. And so that's what drew me into it. So those are the four basic threads. Taiji, Wushu, Sanda, and then, you know, the mythical beast, the Kung Fu Master. Well, Sasha, before we move on, maybe answer my puzzlement. I'm sure probably some people are thinking the same thing I am, which is what about this, you know, is it a myth that there actually is this type that is actually useful for defense? I mean, we we think of things like judo and karate as things, that, that, the skills that you could actually use uh, and even taekwondo, I think women use as a self-defense, supposedly a self-defense 
Is that a myth too, or, or are these things really actually have, uh, you know, protective self-defense, uh, you know, aspects that are used that really work? You mean in Chinese kung fu or in all of the martial arts? I just mean worldwide. Oh uh, yeah, they're yeah, absolutely, absolutely, without question, effective. Um, uh, where can I start? I, let's start with um, you know Taekwondo, karate, and judo. Um, extremely effective um taekwondo um if if you train properly really i think that's the that's the thing i mean the art itself is an art if you learn it then um if you learn it well then yes you can be very effective in a fight right now that's why mma is really so popular is because what it has done is it has cleared the chaff better explain mma yeah let's let's also go back because you you haven't mentioned this as a thread whereas Ah, this is not in chinese martial traditional martial arts right okay so so the mma just mentioned were for chinese what's the situation in china right now is that what you're saying yeah i was just talking about chinese martial arts okay yeah yeah in terms of like mixed martial arts that's a different animal but we can talk about that at at any point isn't that what your movie ends up being about it's about the confluence of the two. It's, it's right. where the two meet. So where did mixed martial arts start? Mixed martial arts, um, you know, depending on how you want to answer that question, it, it began in Greece 2,000 years ago. They had something called No, 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 the, the yeah. commercial operation. Yeah, yeah, okay. that, that, when <laughs> somebody says MMA, they're talking about a commercial America. operation, uh, right? The US. Yeah. It started right. in the U.S. It started in the U.S. with um, basically no-holds-barred <laughs> fights. And, um, you know... Uh, Eventually, it became more and more organized, more and more popular, and really the big, the big development in, in mixed martial arts was the arrival of the Brazilians and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That was when everybody realized that this was something besides big fat dudes swinging at each other. <laughs> um, the, Brazilian, the Brazilians uh, learned jiu-jitsu from a Japanese master, uh, the Gracie family. And they brought Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And they basically issued a challenge. They said, we will beat anyone. And that's just what it is. And why do people watch MMA? Is it just because they can see two guys completely no. screwing each other up? No, basically? no. They I watch mean, it because, because BJJ, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brought by the Gracies, <clears throat> demonstrated that mixed martial arts is an art. Is an art form. Just like kung fu, just like karate, just like any of these others. It is an art form. And... Um, and when people realized that, that's when it started taking off and becoming. But you also a have the benefit thing. of two of guys course, yeah. beating the shit out of each other, right? Well, that's beating the shit out of each other is is um, is of course people love to see knockouts. People love to see blood um, mm. for our own, you know, mm. you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like morbidity, morbid, sadistic, S- uh, visceral. Sadis- I think visceral is the word I'm looking for. Pleasure. Yeah, so it just you know we like to see a fair fight. You know, we've liked to see it since the very beginning, you know. I mean, Lions versus Christians is not, is not enough. We want to see a fair <laughs> fight. So, um, Does championship wrestling count as wushu in this case? You mean <laughs> well, MMA? WWE? MMA? Uh, <laughs> well, I loved it as a kid, but no, nah, I don't think that counts. I mean, I would never say that that's not real. You know, get it's, punched by a wrestler and, 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 yeah. and you'll feel it. But, but like, it's, it's also an art form. I mean, they have moves. They have They have set techniques. They're in they excellent shape. Yeah, they have scripts. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. so now this mixed martial arts in yeah. China. What, so what's going on in China now? Yeah, yeah. You know, so what's in your film? Um, well, what we've seen is um, is kind of I like to I like to characterize it as a rejuvenation and a cleansing of the traditional Chinese martial arts, because what has happened is um, traditional Chinese martial arts was um, decimated by the communists. They did they've done that to everybody, to everything that was good. <laughs> you know, in in China they've they've stomped on it. And Wushu was no exception. 
And so in the last 30 years, it's trying to kind of come back out of it, but it ended up being commercialized. And like a lot of things in China, it's, it's not what it, what it could or, or maybe should be. MMA is, um, is a very, what makes MMA, I think, special, mixed martial arts special, is that the demand and the populace and the environment about, uh, around MMA and the fighters themselves, they demand authenticity. They demand a fair fight. Doesn't mean they always get it. But they demand it. And when you step into a mixed martial arts ring, if you are not well prepared, you will get knocked out. If you do not know how, if you do not have not trained well, if you do not have the proper okay, 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 macho bullshit. No, no, tell me about the business. How many people in China? I (laughs) want to know like what's going on here. I know it's great, no, but (laughs) tell me like, uh, is it a popular sport? I mean, what's the you know how many people are involved? Okay, I'll get there. (laughs) I'll get there. What I'm saying is that this this type of this type of sport entering Mm -hmm. uh, China has had a dramatic effect. Because before MMA, Chinese martial arts was basically dancing around, corrupt sanda fights, and taiji. It was a corrupt, kind of dilapidated martial art Mm. in China. MMA is a very vibrant, So when did it arrive? When did it arrive? It arrived, I think, uh, it arrived in China about 10 years ago. Americans brought it. How did it come Uh, out? An ABC, I guess, Mm. would would be one of the first guys who brought it. Mm. There's actually, you can trace it. It's so early and so young in China. You can trace it back to one, uh, to a group of people. One of the first people was a a guy named Andy P, who lives here in Beijing. And he's um, an American-born Chinese. And he's a a Brazilian jiu-jitsu student. When he came here, he started teaching Brazilian jiu-jitsu. All right? So this was more than 10 years ago. This was almost, uh, this was... 1998 is when he came here. So he taught BJJ. People started getting interested in it. And then after a while, he met um, some guys from, from actually Abu Dhabi, where is it, which is actually a big mixed martial arts hotbed. They invest there. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. They invested in uh, the Abu Dhabi royal family is a major investor in the UFC, which is the largest uh, promotion in the world. Members of this royal family also invested in the first mixed martial arts promotion in China. Uh, you know, invested, sponsored, you know, everybody has a different story. But basically, they helped make it happen. The Abu Dhabi royal family, okay? Wow. So they invested in the first initial one, and that was called the Art of War. And the Art of War involved the four... Wh- which year was that? That was that first, their first fight. Uh, let me see. Oh, I just wrote it. I think it was 1999, 2000, maybe? Maybe Mm. a little bit later than that. 2003. Mm. You know, basically about 10, 10, 11 years ago was when it first started. So the actual date, I I have it written in an article that I wrote for Fightland. You can check it out. Fightland.com. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so so now that came, those were the four original mixed martial artists in China. And what they were, were mediocre um, I, I don't want to say mediocre, but they weren't champion Sanda fighters. They came out of the Sanda circuit, out of the sports universities and out of the pro- provincial Sanda teams. They were not champions. So the Chinese were like, yeah, whatever, we will give you a couple guys. Because the Chinese sports system didn't really think much of MMA. They had no idea what they were dealing with at that time. A global phenomenon, you know, one of the most popular sports in the world right now. But anyway, they sent four guys there. Those four guys um, are still... A couple of them are still here in Beijing. One of them runs China Top Team, one of the biggest gyms in, um, in Beijing. His name is Zhang Tiechuan. And anyway, 
So those four guys were the original uh, Chinese MMA fighters. One of them, uh, this guy, Tia Chuan, made it to the UFC, fought three fights. What is the UFC? The UFC is called the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and it is the largest and most successful mixed martial arts promotion in the world. Um, they have millions and millions of, of viewers. And their- so, but let ta- let's talk about numbers. How big is it in China now? How many yeah, people are Very difficult involved? to say. You know, I mean, it's difficult to say. I was, I was, I've been trying to find out, like, real numbers for this, and... Um, I can't tell you. I can't give you the numbers that you that that would. That but would I mean, this. is it like are there are there mixed martial arts competitions the, in would, ten cities in a hundred cities? Uh, I mean, you know. Yes. We, okay. Uh, my, yes. My, let me. Let me. I'll try and answer that as best I can. There are probably tens of. There are probably a hundred thousand uh, fans of UFC MMA now uh, that are that are active on Weibo and Weixin that are active on the websites yeah which is what what are we talking about here that's like a neighborhood that's my apartment building yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's nothing right so in terms of numbers relative to to population it is minuscule and tiny Hmm. um fighting though fights like not uh, we're not talking about the ufc or mma but actual fights happen in every city in china every month (laughs) there are promotions putting on fights Every month, somewhere in China. Chongqing, Chengdu, Zhengzhou, and Hunan does them every month. There's something going on over there. Shanghai has a lot of fights going on. Everywhere. Beijing has a lot of fights going on. So the actual uh, live fighting business is huge in China. But you can't characterize that as mixed martial arts. What I have seen, though, is that those fighting, those tiny... Why not? Because you mean it's not organized under some official Well, it tends to be a show. Right. Okay, it tends to be a show. Um, fights are fixed a lot of times. Um, sounds like championship wrestling again. <laughs> yeah, it's basically Chinese WWE in a lot of mm. ways. It's not as it's it's not as upfront with it, right? Mm. They're like, this is a real fight. But, um, you know, a lot of it is like China versus Thailand, China mm. versus Japan, the Wuling Fung, which is like kind of... There are some real fights in there. You know, there are people getting knocked out, but there's also a lot of like... Uh, behind the scenes maneuvering to make sure certain people win. So the Chinese fight scene is is dominated by the Chinese way of doing things, which is um you know, which has more to do with the show and money than with like um technical skill and which martial art wins. So so is it going somewhere though? Is this sport actually going to become a sport that's, you know, got like the full official recognition and is going to be a growth sport in China, yeah? Yes, it already has official recognition. The Wushu Association has given a license to the Rennick Ultimate Fighting Federation based out of Shanghai called Ruff. That is run by Joel and Brandon Resnick, two Canadian businessmen, and they're really amazing what they've done. Uh, they've managed to put together an MMA promotion out of nothing in China. So it is. it has official sanctioning from the Wushu Association. Uh, Wulin Feng, so the, well, the most successful fighting promotion, they're on CCTV, they come out of, uh, on Hunan TV, they are now starting to do MMA fights with MMA rules, MMA gloves. Um, there's another fight called Kunlun Fights. They're another big promotion. Also, similar, same people of the Wulin Feng promotion. They are doing MMA fights. These so, but what's the relation between these people and the like official sports bodies? I mean, because these are companies, right, running these. Well, um, you, you know, uh, how can I how can I say this? For example, uh, Kunlun Kunlun fights is uh, that is run by two men. Uh, one is named Jiang Hua, the other is Tony Chen. Jiang Hua runs a gym and is a businessman, and himself competed as a as a wrestler. 
So he's he's in the scene per se. He also was I think he came out of the Beijing or the Beijing or the Tianjin Sports University. So he's in that hierarchy. His partner Tony Chen, um, his father was a member of the uh, Wushu was a high-ranking member of the Wushu Association in Chengdu in Sichuan. So you know the the relationships are the way they are in any business or any organization in China. They are mixed. You'll have government. Um, Officials, basically, as a, if you're in the Wushu Association, you're a government official, stepping out and starting companies that also promote fights. For example, the head of the Sichuan Wushu Association right now uh, runs a fight organization called C3, and they do mostly like kickboxing and sanda. But now they've also do, they're also doing MMA shows. So it's very chaotic and very. So new. there's a lot of mixture, but yeah. but the actual shows and the fights. Oh, outside the official Chinese sports system. I mean, they're operated as commercial endeavors, basically. Is that right? Um, uh, some of them are and some of them are not. Some of them are actual officially sanctioned uh, uh, competitions between sports universities or provincial teams. And some of them are random dudes that they grab and it's a private company that puts on a cultural event, not a sports event, which is a big, important distinction hmm. in China. It's, c- can I ask a question that's not... Uh, Promotional or, or finance or business related? Sure. <laughs> Ask a sure. cultural question. Sure. I mean, this strikes me, you know, as someone who is a cultural, you know, purveyor of culture. This is this is one of those amazing uh, examples of globalization. Exactly, it's, a, yeah. it's this mixed amalgam of different kinds of martial art forms. And it seems to be, from what you're saying, that the participation is completely international. There's people from all different countries, ABCs and XYZs, you know, of different nationalities and races interacting here. Absolutely. So, so I've seen, you know, MMA, but I don't understand exactly what's going on. And I can't see the disparate elements that are combined in here. Can you just explain exactly kind of how this hodgepodge of things became? You said there are rules, so it's not just a random, you know... You're talking about mixed martial arts specifically? Yeah, specifically, yeah. How did this form arise, and how, in a sense, is it, you know, is it like fusion cuisine? (laughs) Yes, that's that's actually not a bad analogy. Um, Well, uh, I can start from... Let's start from the current and kind of move back. Maybe that'll do it, because right now there's... uh, there's three major, um, I guess, areas that a mixed martial arts artist must master. Mm-hmm. There are others, but there's three. Striking, wrestling, and submissions. So, Ooh, that sounds sexy. What's that? It is, it is, <laughs> it is very sexy. BJJ. So anyway, so there's three, area, there's three particular martial arts that, that people study. Um, f- you know... One of them is wrestling, so Greco-Roman or, or freestyle wrestling. Which, huh. Okay, so that's, that's the first one. That's if, you, if you are a wrestler, you're already well on your way in MMA. Okay. The other one is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a submission. It's, a, it's, it's ground-based submissions. So arm bars, chokes, leg locks, stuff like that. You and mean so making the opponent submit? Exactly. When you say submission. Yeah, making Sorry. the opponent submit. So, and uh, if you do not have any training in wrestling or in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you will get beat up in an MMA ring. The other one is, is obviously striking. Mm-hmm. So that's kicking and punching. Most mixed martial artists do not come from a boxing background, although boxing is extremely important. And the, be- and the more boxing you know, the better you are. Mm-hmm. But most of them actually come from an uh, Eastern striking background, be it um, mostly from Muay Thai. Muay Thai has proven so far... What's, what's that? Muay Thai is a Thai uh, martial art that has proven to be very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in any uh, in, in any situation. And um, it involves a lot of knees to the face, to the body, a lot of elbows. Uh, it involves something called the clinch, which is where you grab someone around, f- you're facing them and you grab them around the back of their neck and then you hold them there and you punch them and kick them and stuff like that. So Thai, Thai, the Thai martial arts. So right there you have Brazilian jiu-jitsu, <laughs> yes. <laughs> American wrestling, and Thai striking all working together. And, if, and, and a mar- mixed martial artist today needs to know all three of those. And wow. if he does not, he will be at a disadvantage in the ring. More martial arts are coming in. Uh, you know, people are now studying um, karate, taekwondo, judo is now big. The women's champion, Ronda Rousey, who is a complete beast and has just dominated everyone, is a judo uh, Olympic, I believe she's a silver medalist, but basically a, a wow. judo champion, m- you know. What about that Israeli... Uh, Krav Maga? Yeah, I always want to say Crow Magnon. Well, how, how do you, how do you, <laughs> you say You know, I have no idea, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear a lot about it. I mm. met one guy recently out of London who, who was trying to promote it. Um, There's a school in Beijing that teaches that, actually. Yeah, I mm. haven't, I haven't yeah. seen or heard of it mm. in, the, in, in the competitive sport of MMA yet. Right. And I don't know anything about it, unfortunately. Oh, okay. All I know is that the soldiers used it, which is similar to Sanda. The Chinese PLA actually trains mm. Sanda, so combat. So right now, and so actually the absence of Chinese martial arts speaks volumes. Mm. Is that going to change? And are we going to see Chinese, you know, despite whatever goes on in China itself with the, the professional organization mm-hmm. of the sport, but are you going to see a bigger Chinese involvement? I mean, are Chinese good at this stuff? Is this going to become something that you see Chinese on the national stage for? We already are. Um, there, was a, there was an event in, in Macau, a UFC event, which was one of, which is basically... Sorry, UFC means what? Uh, the ultimate... Uh, fighting championship right. so it's okay. the largest uh, right. mma promotion in the world and um they have they've had now three events in macau the most recent one i attended and it was um and there were five or six chinese fighters on that card and mm. actually those chinese fighters remember i mentioned that there were four original mm. um chinese mma practitioners one mm. of them being john tetran here his students mm. Are the second so the second generation are now these were the first guys who fought in the art of war which NDP started with these Abu Dhabi Royal so like it's all connected <laughs> they fought they were the ones on this UFC Macau card who fought and um, uh, two of them won out three of them won and uh, one of them lost a decision that he should have won so they all performed very well and are they starting to actually go to the United States or elsewhere yes. they're yeah. going to Las Vegas yeah. to uh, to train. Um, next month, I believe, in Halifax, Canada, um, one of the more promising Chinese fighters, Li Jingliang, will be fighting on a card against um, Nordin Taleb, a very, very good Canadian. So the Chinese fighters themselves are starting to get, make it in the UFC. They're not that good. They, if they fight anyone of any real caliber, they're going to get stomped. But they're there. It's the second generation. These guys, like... They've, they've been training MMA for a couple of years. You know, they're, they're, they don't have the same background. They don't have the same training facilities. They don't have the same infrastructure. So there's a lot of things missing. But they're there and they're competing. Let's go back to your film. Uh, so, I mean, you know, w- what are you trying to express with this film? I mean, you know, what, w- what's the story that you're trying to tell? Well, what we're trying to express is, um, is I feel that... Uh, Chinese martial arts, we all, I mean, the group, our, our, our group feels that Chinese martial arts in China doesn't know what to do with itself. It doesn't know if it should be a sport or health or 
a performance or only movies or if it's actually a deadly art. It has no idea. It's, it has an identity crisis like much mon- like many things here in China. They're trying to figure out what they're doing. Partly, so, partly due to party uh, you know, interference of, and, and, and disruption of natural development, which is an ongoing uh, you know, trope in this podcast. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and it's, so, it's, so actually, I mean, the, the Chinese martial arts are a reflection of what's going on in China in generally. So it's, it's facing kind of a, a, an identity crisis, not sure what to do. And while it's trying to figure out what it exactly is, globalization ha- is not waiting. And MMA has come <laughs> to the shores of yeah. China and is already encroaching upon the sports universities, upon the government system, upon the gyms. So it's kind of like what Starbucks did to Italy in a way. Like, Interesting. The, the, you know, the, the, the Americans have come with their... With MMA. With MMA. Right? And, and they're like, look, we're not going to wait for you kung fu guys to figure it out. Right. And, and, the, and the Chinese fighters have, in, to a man, is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this word. You, you are both British. E-S-C-H-E-U. Eschew. Eschew. I, I usually eschew such, such weird <laughs> vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they eschew. South Africa, Sasha. Yeah, we know what the real deal is. Anyway, they eschew their own arts. Yeah. They're not into Kung Fu. I've asked all these guys, hey, you know, you're into MMA. What do you think about Kung Fu? And they all just sneer. Mm. So the Chinese themselves are sneering at Kung Fu. They're like, that shit isn't. F- I'm sorry. <laughs> They're like, that is not Because it's at faded all. into obsolescence. Or not obsolescence, but just, dormancy because they don't, it, it can't uh, do what MMA did, which is to develop. Uh, to, to figure out who yeah. it is yeah. And, yeah. and how it can actually be effective and market itself. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's. They're trying to market performances and health and dancing, and then like at the same time, the really the Chinese are uh, the Chinese system is afraid to compete uh, in a fight on on the global level yeah. because of the system itself is still having that you know ridiculous conversation like you know wom the teacher bu yang you know we mm. the you know we don't like to we Chinese are are passive people and our bodies are different therefore <laughs> we can't do this right yeah. so they're still in that the system is still in some ways in that in that era and uh, and the mma guys competing in the ufc the chinese guys have already they're like look we don't want anything to do with that we're gonna we're, we're competing and we want to win this sounds all sounds like a soft power morality tale too because it's mm. because this is an example of of everything you're talking about all these elements are are based in, are come from china Mm-hmm. It's a Chinese art form, and yet it's it's like uh, it's like jazz. It's American, and yet it's everything else too, right? But that's that's what makes soft power. Soft power has to grow organically, and this is they're taking martial arts and making something just fucking incredible out of it. Thank you. I can curse you. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say fuckity, 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 fuck. Oh, on the all show. right, all right. Yeah. It'll get censored, but you. you but, might it, not. but anyway, I think this is a great example Absolutely. of of what uh, the model for if China wants to develop its soft power. Take these indigenous art forms like martial arts, and let and let the people do what they want with them. They're going right? to fail. They're not going to do that. The actually uh, the savior for Chinese martial arts is not going to be the Chinese government. It's going to be foreigners. That's, and I know that's that's my point. Yeah, yeah, point. it's yeah. going to be foreigners, and that's and because foreigners are actually the ones who are interested in kung fu masters. Right, right, I mean, right. Really, right. they exactly. really are. Like Chinese themselves are like, look, man, I, I I'm trying to make a mon- I'm trying to make money and make a living, and I'm not going to sit there and punch bags with this kung fu master and so foreigners are into it because of an economic reality um and mma is is gonna is gonna come in here and change change the landscape so but but, but, but can i ask a question that's probably out of place here but but that's all great wow you know fantastic but 
but the original, like the reason that martial arts has been, you know, part of, you know, sort of significant of Chinese culture, sort of mm. iconic, is that it's of a piece with the philosophy, mm. and that you practice Taiji, you practice, mm. the, and you're t- you're thinking about the yin and the yang and the Tao and these different, you know, sort of uh, the, the the Chinese tradition of how these things. It's part. It's part of calligraphy and the art of tea. And exactly. Yeah. Is that just out the window? No. <laughs> no. 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 Absolutely not. And actually, that is um, that's a very interesting point because what. Chinese martial arts has contributed to the global martial arts movement, which is mostly mixed martial arts, is this philosophy. Hmm. Bruce Lee is, yeah. co- is widely considered to be the father of mixed martial arts because of his, oh. his philosophy, uh, called Jit Kune Do. Which is Jie Chuan Dao, the intercepting fist, is, well, I guess, is yeah. the way they translate well, it. But Jie uh, Chuan is one thing, but there's another way to understand it. What he actually believed was that there is no one style. Oh, yeah. You must study other styles. If you do not study other styles, you are a f- basically a fool. And oh. so for the Chinese masters at that time who heard that, it's anathema. <clears throat> and he was you know, kicked out and ridiculed for a long time by traditional masters here who basically were like, traditional masters here have this type of viewpoint. In many, it's still, now it's changing. But they were like, look, if I lose in a fight, it's not because that particular style is better than mine. It's because I haven't practiced my style good mm. enough. Oh, I see. And yeah, mixed yeah. martial arts has taken that idea and thrown it out the window because it's false. And Bruce Lee <laughs> recognized that. And so mixed martial arts has accepted Bruce Lee as basically the father of mixed martial arts. In the big video game, you know, the EA video game, mixed martial arts, Bruce Lee is like the main, the, the, <laughs> the, the main boss, you know. And not only that, but also the language, the terms, you know, warrior spirit, yin and yang, you know, Tao, mm-hmm. all right. these things like these, these elements, mixed martial arts has, has taken from uh, Chinese martial arts and made them because they are timeless and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What's happened, though, is that <clears throat> Kung Fu itself has been, has been is considered to be ineffective, but the philosophy is considered beautiful and, and useful. Well, so that's, that's how it is now. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely. So, Sasha, let's, let's go back to your film. Um, so, you know, tell us more. You, you've been a little bit cagey with the details. You know, what, you know what's happening with the film and okay. uh, what stage uh, are right. you? Well, um, I'll, I'll just start and I'll tell the whole story. I'm not exactly sure what, what details I'm going I'm to I'm feed out here. But um, the film started last uh, November. When, um, when I, uh, I got together with two filmmakers here, David Dempsey and Chris Cherry, both live here. They're Scotsmen, and they both live here in Beijing. And we were in Shaolin, at the Shaolin Temple, filming um, an MMA fighter, Vaughn Anderson, from Canada, who is, uh, who's been fighting MMA in China, or in Asia, for 15, 15 years now out of Taiwan. So he's definitely an, an original gangster. So anyway, he was at the Shaolin Temple teaching... Shaolin Kung Fu students Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, right? <laughs> and so that, that was just too. We're, we're like, wow, we gotta go check this out. So we went there and we checked it out, and it was an amazing experience. You know, the Shaolin gym is is like a drafty brick house, you know, with holes in the ceiling, and the the outhouse is amazing. And um, you know, there's cigarette butts on the mats, and these kids though are all about it. And they were learning uh, BJJ. They were kicking the bags, and really all about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You got to stop with those acronyms. You got to stop with acronyms. Okay, yeah. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Anyway, so so that was the genesis. We filmed that, and we realized that this is something interesting. The confluence of of mixed martial arts and Chinese martial arts, kung fu, is something that we think is very interesting. So we continued. We uh, started following mixed martial artists around, 
um, several of them. One of them recently won the Ultimate Fighter China Championship for flyweight named Ning Guangyo. Uh, he lives here in Beijing as well. We followed a couple smaller fighters around. Or, yeah, I mean, they're also smaller, but um, younger fighters at smaller promotions. We uh, went to the Rannick Ultimate Fighting um, Federation, uh, Rough, out of Shanghai. We visited several shows there, filmed that. We filmed uh, Kung Fu Masters in Chengdu, Chongqing. We interviewed a lot of people. And so over the past uh, 10 months, we've collected this, this vision, this, this, uh, this idea of what's happening here in, uh, in China in terms of the martial arts. We're about halfway done. Uh, we're going to be launching a Kickstarter at the end of, uh, end of September, uh, beginning of October. So check that out. It's called The New Masters Documentary on, uh, on, uh, on Kickstarter. You can also learn more at thelastmasters.com, which is a blog that we keep where we put a lot of our behind-the-scenes footage, a blog posts that we write about the topic, photo, photo posts, stuff like that. And when are you planning to finish the film? We hope to finish the film in uh, March or April, in the spring, basically. There are a few events that, that kind of... There's a championship fight um, in, in spring that is going to bring two of our main characters uh, together to fight mm -hmm. each other, actually. And they're young, one's 19, one's 20, Chinese fighters, one's poor, one's rich. So, I mean, there's a lot of very interesting characters, a lot of people who are, who are coming from nothing and trying to make, them, make, make something of themselves here with the fight, fight business. Um, and, uh, and so we believe that around April we'll be finished filming. And um, we've got a few, uh, a few festivals and a few foundations that have looked at what we've already done. And uh, they like it. You know, the camera guys are really amazing. The script is developing, as, as uh, documentaries tend to do. We also have some, some professional producers on, uh, on the team as well. So the team is tight. Okay. You know? So I'd like to I'm ask sorry. you one, lo one last question, which is that um, – <laughs> like, yeah, uh, All right. Tell me one last question, baby. What's up? Which is that um, – I mean, don't you think that, honestly speaking, like the, the, the martial arts uh, scene is, is really kind of something like pornography, that it's what? just – people want to like see some blood no, and that no. people make all of this this fuss about like either oriental martial arts and the philosophy or the fact that it's beautiful but in fact it's 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 it's, it's lions versus versus yeah. christians we're just watching blood <laughs> you know um, like can you defend yourself yes, yes i can because i've gone through that crisis that you're speaking of um i have you know i've had i've been to the dark night of my soul but anyway um i didn't start out as a sports writer as a writer about kung fu um, never did that. I wrote about many other things. And when I started writing about um, sports, which this, which what it is in, in a way, I definitely thought to myself, what am I doing? You know, there's, there's sensors, you know, you, there's a certain formula that I don't like. You're not allowed to like talk shit about a fighter, um, you know, or else you'll lose access. I mean, there's a lot of things I don't really like about, about the way the media treats sports in general. I'm not a big fan of sports. I've, I've, uh, I've come to terms with the with the fascism of American football and so on and so forth, you know, in my own opinion. And so I definitely I thought to myself, what am I doing here? But then I met these guys. OK, and that's the real difference. If you're an outsider looking in and you're a media guy and all you do is bounce around writing about these people. Yes, that's what it's going to look like. But once you actually learn what this is about for the people who are actually doing it, then you realize that there is beauty. There is real truth at the core of this. There is real meaning at the core of this because people will always want to watch this. Why is that? What, one of the main questions that I still haven't answered is why is mixed martial arts so popular? Why do people still you know, 
dream about being a kung fu master? Why do people still want to meet and train under a kung fu master? What is it that drives people to do that? What is it that drives people to get up in the morning, train all day, make a weight cut? When everyone else is partying, they're lifting weights. When everyone else is eating cheeseburgers, they're like, no, I'm drinking water and, and, and green juices. Why do they do it? Why do they get into a ring, break their hands on someone else's face in the best case scenario? Why? why? Why is this happening? Why? And and I don't really have the true answer to that yet. If I did, I would be a sage, my friend. But I'm, you know, I'm, but that is that is a question that I think is a meaningful question. And the people that I've met who have tried to help, who have tried to answer it for me, I respect. I mean, these fighters, I have tremendous respect and admiration for them to the point where I'm actually training so that I can get into the ring and get my ass kicked because I think I won't know this answer until I myself. Have, have been sub, sub, <laughs> submitted. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to answer the question. As an outsider looking in, I'm, I'm always going to be like, I don't know what's going on here. Fair enough. And so let's, on that note, let's move on to up. recommendations. David, what you got for us? Well, uh, as Monty Python used to say, and now for something completely different. I'm <laughs> going the opposite direction, not even, in, not even related to China. You know, in Beijing, um, you know, very... Uh, essential element of Beijing because of traffic jams and because you waste a lot of time doing pointless tasks and waiting in lines and things is podcasts and audiobooks as, you know, for people like me. I just wanted to recommend a great uh, podcast called the, S- the Seventh Avenue Project or Seventh Avenue Podcast. It's uh, seventhavenueproject.com. And it's just a fantastic uh, podcast, but it's a very it's somewhat geeky. That the, the host is a guy named Robert Polly, and he interviews people of the likes of Dan Dennett and quantum physicists and Bella Fleck and musicians and everything. Completely diverse uh, kind of group of people, but he asks very intelligent questions, and they aren't condescending questions, and they aren't pandering questions, and they aren't things that that insults the audience's intelligence. They're very, very sharp questions. They talk about very deep and complicated things, but they manage to do it in an intelligent way that is nevertheless incomprehensible. I just really enjoy listening to this podcast. Maybe you can come and do a podcast <laughs> once you've figured out uh, what, this <laughs> what the meaning, what, of, what the meaning is. of MMA is. You can come <laughs> and, and explain, and he would be asking intelligent questions about why it's interesting to watch people beat their brains out. Yeah, yeah well, maybe yeah. one day I'll, I will have that answer. When I do, I'll probably just ascend to heaven like a sage. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's like, that's like you know, what, what is up with women? You know, that's the same type of question. Like, oh, I don't know, dude. Not We'll never know. Uh, your recommendation. I'm still thinking. i got to come up with one <laughs> off the fly. You actually took – I was going to give a podcast. Yeah. Now, now I'm no, not you can sure still anymore. do that. Come on. I'll give a podcast. podcast. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, All right. No um, so I might recommend a podcast. So. Okay, I'm I'm gonna recommend a podcast. Um, I got into podcasts actually through Seneca because um because of Jeremy and um and I respect his work, so I started listening to it, and that got me into podcasts. And um and as I as I started listening to podcasts, I came across Dan Carlin, which maybe many of you know, maybe some of you do not, but um, I've been waiting patiently for Blueprint uh, for Armageddon, which is part. Five, I believe, in a series about World War One, <clears throat> incredible, incredible. Um, Dan Carlin's hardcore history and uh, start from the beginning. Just go through it. He, he does some some stuff on the Mongols, which is incredible. Uh, he does some stuff on World War One recently, which is just. I mean, I, I'm a history geek, so I like to read that stuff anyway. But he does an excellent job, and and his and his work on on uh, he's done five parts now. Each one is three and a half hours, so it's fifteen hours of of um of intelligent listenable <laughs> okay yeah. conversation on world war one it's great stuff so dan carlin hardcore history 
Thank you. That's great. I'm going to recommend uh, also a history podcast that has been recommended on the show before. And the uh, podcaster has been on the show. That is Laszlo Montgomery of Mm. the China History Podcast, who has just completed a three-part series on the life of Sir Edmund Trelawney Backhouse. (laughs) One of the most most fascinating people to have ever lived in Beijing. So did he Uh, or did he not? Bang the Empress. I don't think he did anything he claims to have done. But he, <laughs> uh, he, he, he nonetheless is a most interesting yeah. individual. Uh, absolutely. Um, Fascinating. I, I, so, I, and yeah. Laszlo did a, a pretty good job. Three, <laughs> three, three podcasts of, of basically summarizing his life and times. Uh, you know, we think we're decadent in some ways <laughs> now. And in I some know, ways, I some stories, we're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, Sasha, thank you very much. Uh, we'll very put up much. a link to your uh, um, Kickstarter and other aspects of your writing. And thank, thank you very you. much for trying to explain to us, kind of wussy types, like what's going on. I'm a yourself, dude. <laughs> yeah, David is uh, coming yeah, at me. I had a great time thank up you. here. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I had a great time, and I hope I hope uh, some of it was cleared up for you guys. I think some of it was. And we will see you next week on the Seneca Podcast.